Star Wars 7 by 7 episode 1504. Today, let's talk about seven top takeaways from the Rebels era portion of Thrawn Alliances. Punch it, Chewie. Hey, I'm Jason Fry, author of many Star Wars stories and the Jupiter Pirate series, and you're listening to Star Wars 7 by 7 the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7. So, here we are again with the Rebels era of Thrawn alliances, and we are in full spoiler territory, so if you have not read the book and still want to and don't want it spoiler for you, then you probably want to save this one for a later date. But if you've already read it, or you have no intention of doing so, but still want to know about what happens and get into some analysis and whatnot, and you know, all that good stuff that we like to do here on the podcast, then stick with me because we're going to dive right in. The first top takeaway is the plot, just like we talked about yesterday. And that is that the Emperor has sensed a disturbance in the Force and he wants Thrawn and Vader to go investigate. And he wants the two of them to go investigate because it happens to be happening in a place where Anakin and Thrawn had previously encountered each other, and that is at the edge of the unknown regions right around the planet Batuu. And the Emperor must know exactly what this disturbance in the Force is about, because in his ruminations about assigning Vader and Thrawn this task, he's thinking specifically about the fact that Thrawn's loyalty to the Empire has yet to be fully tested, and Vader's time with the Jedi can't be dismissed or discounted, and so he sees this as an opportunity for Vader to face some of his past and for Thrawn to face his future, as it were. And so that really suggests that the Emperor knows exactly what this Force disturbance is, and we will get to that. That's our last top takeaway for this episode. Our second top takeaway is the difference in leadership style between Vader and Thrawn. Now, of course, Vader doesn't tolerate any sort of failure whatsoever, and he's kind of a one-strike-and-you're-dead person, whereas Thrawn is more of a mind to help people learn and to realize that even if they are doing the best that they possibly can, that they have the opportunity to fail and learn from their mistakes, and as long as you know, they are capable officers and are trying to improve themselves at any opportunity, then Thrawn is going to be patient with them and help them along. And in fact, one of the uh, commanders of the First Legion, which is Vader's personal stormtrooper outfit, observes this difference and sees that, wow, if Thrawn's leadership style could actually spread through the entire Empire, that things might go very well and the Empire might never fall as a result. But unfortunately, it's not the case, obviously, because Vader is a lot more violent and aggressive by comparison. And even the officers of the Chimera, Thrawn ship, realize that with Vader on board, their normal routine, their ability to be able to learn in the face of challenging circumstances, that they don't have that safety and security anymore. And so that creates a lot of tension in the novel. And also, interestingly, the Emperor seems to side more on Thrawn's way of thinking about things. You might be surprised to hear that, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's a line in there that refers to Star Wars Rebels and about the fact that 
Thrawn let the Rebels slip away at the end of Season 3 of Star Wars Rebels. And the reason why the Emperor did not take the Seventh Fleet away from Thrawn was because much of what happened at that battle was entirely out of Thrawn's control, according to the Emperor's point of view on it. Now, you could argue that Vader wouldn't have tolerated it even if it was out of anybody's control, that regardless of who it was, if they didn't manage to control the situation, even if something surprised them, that it still would be problematic for him and he would still decide to go choking instead of listening and helping people learn from their mistakes or anything like that. But be that as it may. Our third top takeaway has to do with the villains in this particular situation, and they are the Grisk. That is the name of these aliens. And it turns out that they may be collaborating with a segment of the Chiss Ascendancy. There's an aristocrat that is a ruling class of the Chiss, and it may be the case that a segment of them, a faction of them, have sided with the Gris, or the Grisk have somehow managed to take control of them, psychologically speaking, finding a way to be able to manipulate them. And part of the novel... Uh, just revolves around the discovery of how the Grisk are actually using other species to either work for them, forcing them into, you know, working for them, or at least making them, you know, tacit allies or making them at least be neutral and not get involved because the Grisk are somehow manipulating them or forcing them into this behavior. And what they're up to, in addition to what we'll tell you about at the end of this round, is they are dropping these canisters into the hyperspace lanes, and the canisters have cortosis woven into them. And cortosis, of course, is that material that we talked about on yesterday's podcast that was being woven into the battle droids' armor as well as the clone troopers' armor to try to you know, defeat lightsabers and blasters, but in this particular case, they could be deployed to disrupt the travel of ships through hyperspace, and they are intending to disrupt the travel of the Empire, potentially, into the Unknown Regions. And so our next top takeaway has to do with the Unknown Regions themselves and why this is so difficult to deal with. So it turns out, according to Thrawn, that there was a chained set of supernova explosions that basically threw a bunch of planetary and moon-sized debris all through any usable hyperspace lanes, and thus it becomes very difficult to traverse the unknown regions because the hyperspace lanes are always changing, and so really the only way to do it is by very short hyperspace jumps, which takes a long time to maneuver through there, unless you have some other options, and the Emperor is very interested in some of these other options because he is interested in expanding his rule into the unknown regions as well. Now, our fifth top takeaway. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to save this for the end. Let's just do it right now. Here's what we find out. That the way that the Chiss are able to navigate in the unknown regions and do it so well, and it's actually a sense that Anakin had when he first encountered Thrawn back in the Clone Wars era, is that the Chiss use Force-sensitive children for navigation. It turns out that Force-sensitive children are very rare in the Chiss species, and when they 
are born, they're give, they're basically described as having third sight, which is an interesting way of putting it, kind of like a third eye. And the only force power that these Chiss children are born with is precognition. They can see what is about to happen just before it's going to happen. And so they are used for navigation through the unknown regions because as they are traveling, they can sense when they're going to bounce too close to a supernova, as Han Solo liked to put it. And they can adjust their navigational path as a result. So this is the big reveal. It turns out that the Grisk have kidnapped a bunch of Force-sensitive Chiss children, and their cries of fear and terror were felt across the galaxy by the Emperor, who realized, oh this is a way that I can figure out how to navigate through the unknown regions. And so that is the whole motivating factor for the Emperor's involvement and thus Vader and Thrawn's involvement as well, because then Thrawn is forced to make a decision of sorts. You know, where does his loyalty lie? How does protecting a bunch of Chiss children fall within his loyalty to the Empire? And so that is a line that he has to skirt very carefully. And of course, he does naturally because he survives this whole novel and we see him in season four of Rebels. So yeah, you know that he is going to make it out alive by the end of this thing. So speaking of Thrawn, our sixth top takeaway is that we actually get some emotional reveals from Thrawn in this section of the novel. At many points, he is asking Vader to trust him in his suppositions and not willing to say, here's what I'm thinking and I'm trying to test out this theory right now. He just asks for trust. And Vader is not very willing to do that at all. And so... Thrawn has to go the next level and has to be vulnerable and say that he's had experiences in the Empire where he has stated what his conclusions were without proof and that people who were hostile to him were willing to use the proof as, you know, weapons against him somehow or disbelieve the proof because they were hostile to him in the first place. So that's the first admission. And then the second admission has to do with just the hostility that he's encountered in the Empire because he's not human, because, you know, he's different from everyone else, because he's not connected to the right families, as it were, on Coruscant, you know, that political social web or anything like that. And that, you know, because of it, he has become very careful about what he says and how he goes about revealing the things that he's thinking and the logical, intuitive or deductive jumps that he's making. So he actually has to get emotionally vulnerable with Vader in order to get Vader to go along with his schemes and his rationales. And so that's definitely a different and intriguing side of Thrawn, I, uh, Thrawn that we got to see in the novel. And I think that was one of the most interesting facets of it, Thrawn willing to be vulnerable and realizing that he had to in order to make this whole thing work. And the last top takeaway, which in its way is kind of the biggest reveal of all is the fact that Thrawn figures out that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are the same person. And there are bits through the novel where you see that Thrawn already suspects this to begin with. And Thrawn is saying little things here and there like, oh, you remember the last time we were on this planet? And Vader says, we were not on this planet together. 
And Thrawn says, oh, sorry, my mistake. And you know that Thrawn isn't making a mistake. He's basically just kind of testing the waters or saying, oh, this bartender, you know, we talked to him before. We'll, you know, see what we can find out. And Vader's reaction isn't clearly to reject it. And so Thrawn's probably thinking to himself, hmm, he didn't reject that. He must really be Anakin like maybe that's another piece of the puzzle that makes me think he really could be Anakin and then watching Vader fly one of the tie defenders around in a final attack on the Grisk forces well there's a maneuver that Vader pulls off that Thrawn is sure that he has seen only once before and the only person he ever saw do it was Anakin Skywalker so that's what convinces him and there is a confrontation about it and ultimately Vader does not kill him for making that inescapable conclusion or arriving at that inescapable conclusion the fact that he knows it. He realizes, Vader does, that the Emperor couldn't have told him that it's just something that Thrawn figured out. It's one of the deepest, darkest secrets of the Empire. And yet, Vader has learned enough from working with Thrawn that he is going to let it be. And already Thrawn has said that he honors Anakin's legacy, which is really kind of funny considering that Anakin's legacy was to create an environmental disaster on Mokivj. And so... Yeah, I guess he's okay with that particular legacy, maybe because he knew something about what the Grisk were up to and that really the, uh, you know, the Grisk were going to be set back many years by what Anakin did. I don't know. Certainly Thrawn was not a fan of Anakin's plan to blow up the mines, but, you know, I don't know, maybe it turned out to be a better thing when it was, you know, viewed through the lens of 17 years of history. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk about two funny little extra things in the novel. I'll be right back. Hey, Rebel Rouser. If you're enjoying Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast, bringing you a daily dose of Star Wars joy for more than four years and 1,500 episodes now, I hope you'll consider putting a tip in the metaphorical tip jar at patreon.com slash SW7X7. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash SW7X7. You can show your support for as little as $1 per month. And if you do a little bit more, there's a little bit more fun for you too. Again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash SW7X7. I thank you and Star Wars 7x7 thanks you too. Welcome back. So... One of the things that the Grisk are doing are pulling moons away from Mokivj to try to break them up and create additional problems with the hyperspace lanes. But when they arrive at Mokivj, what happens is they're scanning the planet and they realize that there's been a tremendous environmental disaster and things are terrible on the planet. There's no grassland anywhere. Like, there's no green, there's no nothing. And... It must have been something horrible and cataclysmic like a comet collision or some sort of volcanic eruption, but there's been no sign of volcanic activity. And Vader is thinking like he did not want to come back to this planet at all because it's a reminder that something really bad happened. And they can only find six moons instead of ten moons that are supposed to be orbiting the planet. So Vader gets a pass at that moment because... The possibility suggested that a moon may have been drawn down to the planet and crashed into it and that that might have caused the cataclysm. But 
ultimately they say nope you know there are four moons missing and something really weird is happening but vader manages to skate on that one but he is faced with the uncomfortable aftermath 17 years later of the environmental disaster that he created and the other funny little bit was toward the end of the novel in the epilogue where Vader and Thrawn are having their final conversation and they're getting a little heated and at some point Vader says something to the effect of you know do you (laughs) <laughs> you think I don't know that you're probably thinking about ways that you can kill me or something like that? And Thrawn smiles and says, actually, I've thought of three different ways to kill you. And that's all he says about it. <laughs> and that's where it ends. So Thrawn has some ideas about how to take out Vader if need be, which is rather fascinating to say the least. And obviously it never happens, but there you go. Anyway, that is going to do it for our look at the Rebels era portion of Thrawn Alliances, and thus the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. Hey, before you get captured on Geonosis, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'd be spectacularly grateful if you put a little something in the tip jar at patreon.com slash SW7x7. It's not a separatist trick, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.